This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. on the Cameron Journal podcast we are doing season or season three episode four of our series on fashion um if you have not listened to the whole series you should go back to the beginning because we are discussing fashion from soup to nuts from thread and needle to the final product all the way through and today we're going to talk about specifically about what is fashion and what is style Um, There's a lot of um, people get a lot of ideas (laughs) about um, what these things are and are not. And there's a lot of confusion about good fashion and good style and how all of this works together and why we wear what we do and and all this sort of thing. And uh, and uh, and so we're, we're going to dive into that into that topic today. But I would encourage you to go listen to the other episodes. They're quite interesting. And I'm joined again by my friend Brady, who we're going to be talking all things, all things fashion and and style and 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 go from there. So welcome back, Brady. Here we go again. No, of course. Well, I know we're more than halfway there. All right, we got this. I know we're going on a little journey. So. Um, I wanted to start out um, by sort of thinking about the idea of being fashionable. Um, People think it's very modern, but it really isn't. The ancients were very into their appearance. Um, In fact, the word we get narcissistic from comes from the Greek god Narcissus, who is best known for falling in love with his own appearance in reflective water. Um, uh, I mean, the Greeks spent a lot of time carving statues and it wasn't for fun. Um, they were really into the ideal human form, the ideal human shape, um, and their art reflects their passion, their passion for, for that. Um, even something as, you know, as, you know, how women were shaped in terms of, you know, symbols of fertility. Um, very famously, small penises were out of style. It was considered brutish and unmanly to have a penis that was too large, which is why all the statues have small penises, because that was the fashion of the time. Um, you know, all of these things. Um, the, the idea, people think it's a, it's a fairly modern idea and people just kind of wore whatever, but that's really never been the case it might have been the case if you were poor but even then clothes had very practical considerations yeah there was still and 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 it social considerations because you wore certain clothes because you were poor but that 
gave the image of people knew that you were the lesser off because you were wearing the practical clothes. Well, especially if you lived in a place that had sumptuary laws that regulated what could be worn and by whom. Um, this exactly. was this was particularly really true. The other thing that I think was also really important, and this even gets into like armor in the Middle Ages for the night class, or even in the in the night class for the Romans, is <laughs> fashion used to be deeply cultural. Um one of the biggest problems for people traveling during the pre-modern period was how strange their clothes looked. You could tell someone wasn't from around here based upon their their style. Like you'll when you read old novels or other historical fiction or records, you'll see people talking about buying new clothes to fit their new culture. And this was true for like ladies in waiting who were sent to other royal courts in Europe. Mm -hmm. So if someone was in Britain and they got sent to the court of France, um, she would end up getting new French style clothing when she arrived because her English clothing would make her stand out in a crowd and was just simply not acceptable to local taste. And that was, you know, even especially in Central Europe, because it wasn't unified, it was all a bunch of small kingdoms. Um, fashion was so cultural and you could tell where someone was from merely by what they wore. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was even not even just ladies in waiting like that happened with a lot of queens of came yes. in and had to change their entire style. But then some of them also changed style historically by going back to some of their old styles once they got older. Yes. And that was very famously uh, in the last episode, we were talking about Marie Antoinette and it was actually tradition for uh, young women who are marrying the crowned prince of France to um to arrive to to not arrive in the clothing she had come from her parents' house, which obliged her at one point um in the border between France and Austria to completely disrobe, leave her old clothes behind, and put on new clothes to then proceed on her journey. Yeah. Um. So this, but that was, again, also deeply, deeply cultural, but even among like, you know, the regular people, you look at um, uh, clothing traditions in Germany or Central Europe or Northern it Italy and Tyrol, all this everything. A lot of those totemic styles were actually styles of poor people <laughs> or no, no, middle-class, yeah. lower, lower-class people. Um, and they were, you know, incredibly culture you could immediately tell where someone was by what they were wearing it wasn't fashion now is so homogenized worldwide and yes, it really much. wasn't that that really wasn't the case until after world war ii um mm -hmm. yep. i mean world war ii was really one of the catalysts of flipping us from being more global in our fashion taste because and and just flipping fashion in general was hugely affected by world war ii well yeah in so many ways which we've talked about so many times in this series um but i mean yeah it, it really it fashion has become in, since 1945 fashion has become so universal and so homogenized um that you know now you can go the world over and find someone wearing a t-shirt you can go the world over and find someone wearing jeans, um, except for France where they're banned. Um, you can go um the world over and you know and find 
you know, Uniqlo, which comes from Japan, has stores all over the world. H&M has stores all over the world. Um, and that yep. wasn't that wasn't the case until after 1945. That sort of globalization yep. of fashion was not the case. If if you, you know, if you came from China or Japan and got on a boat and landed in, in America, you were everyone immediately knew where you came from because you were wearing the wrong clothes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, um, and because clothes are expensive, it could be a long time before you were able to get anything, anything else. So that's, um, I mean, that's why, and, and that is why we had some of the discrimination. Oh, yes. In the past in this country from, you know, Ellis Island people to, which I mean, God, most people are, but also, you know, to even people from Spain and things like that coming through and because of their fashion, like people that could pass as white, but we could find a way to be bigoted against them because they didn't dress the way Americans at that time dressed. Absolutely. Well, and also the other aspect of fashion and style that I think is so important is how indicative it is of class. And that's still true today. That's one yes, that has endured, is fashion yes. as indicative of class. That has endured to the very present moment. Yes, very much has. And so in, in that way, that whole idea of being able to tell someone and the culture they come from right away from their clothing in it hasn't necessarily gone away it's just changed so that even in a globally homogenized fashion environment we now we don't judge you it's not a matter of where you're from we judge you by how expensive it was that you paid how much you paid for it <laughs> yeah it's a different it's a different sort of culture that we judge you for yes and uh, and that you know that is and I think that when it comes to you know that sort of of style when you change I think one of the hardest things for people if they change social classes is the changing standards of style. Um, you find that a lot in like um, people from working class working class backgrounds that get into the professions or into academia. Yeah. Um, it, it, I remember when I was in college, um, I had this professor who was the first in her family to ever go to college. And, and I didn't realize how true this was until it happened to me. And she talked about how um, unrelatable she became to the rest of her family. And she, I think she was telling us that as kind of a cautionary tale because I went to a, you know, a second tier state school, a lot of first in the family to go to college sort of thing. Um, and I was the first in my mother's family to go to college. Um, and, uh, and, and how, and, and it was funny because I, I didn't realize, and again, how clothing is such a factor. Um, when I was getting ready to graduate from grad school the first time, um, I had, uh, we had full academic regalia. So we had a robe, we had a mortarboard, we had a tassel, and we also had a sash with the colors of the college we came from. Mine was turquoise because it was the College of Diplomacy. And uh, 
And I remember kind of putting it all on and getting it all arranged and all this type of thing. And my mother looked at me like I was from a foreign planet. Like this was so out of her experience because she never went to college. Yeah. Yeah. It was just you know a very odd. And she kind of made this creepy comment of kind of like, you know, well, I only, you know, graduate high school. And so, and I, I just immediately sort of just took it all off, bolted it up, stuck it in the suitcase and I'll deal with it when I get to Vermont. Um, because it was just awkward. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. um, yeah so that's um but i I mean again it's it's something you know you don't think of you don't think of those things until and weirdly enough fashion somehow is at the center of this um you end up with these weird interactions because well you're wearing that which means you have access to Mm -hmm. it you know or whatever have you, you know or you know you you know you're you're now different than us and that is, um, I mean, I, yeah. I even deal with that in the fact that, you know, I, I always wear dresses. I just personally find them easier and I have the hair and all that stuff. And in my family, like my dad's side of the family thinks it's great because my grandfather was a tailor. Um, my mom's side of the family thinks I have this cute little hobby and don't understand why I seem too snobby for them, even though I'm not being, I just dress nicer you do just because it's easy and I can figure it out but it's one of those things that I make I make excuses for the way I dress so that other people don't feel like I'm trying to like look better than them I'm just it's this is the way I like to look and this is what I wear and so because I don't look dress the way everybody else does especially in my family that doesn't make me different it just means that's how I like to dress. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I find like that doesn't, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I mean, for me, it's, it's been a real barrier. I went to a conference last year in, in Arizona and I was very, and, and I, I think part of it is post COVID, but it was a trend beforehand. I was really disturbed by how um, casual everyone was. I, I took the phrase business casual seriously and I arrived ready to look like a professional. Um, and you didn't do Colorado casual style? No, <laughs> no, I actually, style? no, no, I had vests, I had a jacket, I had, and I said, I had good shoes and everyone was just so ultra casual that I actually, I stood out in the crowd for the wrong reason. I was over, kind yeah. of overdressed, and it was, and the thing was, it was intimidating and off-putting, and so I'm in Arizona, and I'm trying to cobble together a casual style with almost no casual pieces of clothing, so I'm like, well, I have four or five things that I wore on the drive down here. We'll start with that and go yes. from there and see if we can like dress it down, dress it differently, whatever have you. Um, I literally you start with a messy bun that can help, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Yes. Um, I had a loose pair of of really nice um pajama pants. My grandmother would be horrified that I left the house wearing pajama pants. That's just not done. But um I, I did that with this really cool kind of uh open weave shirt sort of thing. So it looked like I just kind of like, you know, come in from the golf course, come in from the water park situation um but yeah it was it was a very kind of unexpected thing and especially for someone that grew up you know 
in environments where, you know, I mean, where a suit and tie was expected. I worked at the state Senate where I could not get into the building unless I was wearing a suit with tie and collared shirt. Um, I still sometimes find myself overdressing for stuff because I grew up in a world where you dressed like for re like legit dressed, like that was a thing, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I mean, that may just be a me thing too and my brain, but I always would prefer to be overdressed than underdressed. That would be embarrassing if we were underdressed. I don't. I don't mind being overdressed. What I mind is how people treat me when that happens. People react to you when you're overdressed, which is definitely a thing. Yes. And that's something I deal with a lot, obviously, you know, because right. I wear dresses every day. Um, but it is it is a, a different thing of the way people Although when we worked in nightlife, that kind of became our thing. We were those people. Okay. Like like when we like, for everything. Yes, like we it kind of became part of our it kind of became our thing. We were perpetually mm -hmm. overdressed for stuff. And that yes. was just kind of how we rolled. Like that was our branding. Like that it was. What made us noticeable. That's how we won Best Up Still Boutique. First year we were open, things. just saying. Like <laughs> but that's also one of those things. It shows the power of fashion is that that was literally part of the branding, not only for the boutique but also for the magazines and stuff like that was the fact yeah. that when we showed up we were dressed well and that was a branding thing you can also show up and all be dressed in a different style than we necessarily had but pulling it off well and that it can be a branding tool yeah and that's and that's especially you know in certain environments i mean now it's less about culture and where you are from geographically it's more about your social scene and your economic background so like if you're a ski dude and you're always on the ski slopes that's going to be your style it's going to be the jacket you wear you know for even what car you drive it's it, that's kind of part of that whole ski mountain lifestyle sort of thing um Whereas, you know, let's say it's like not so much in Colorado where you are because you don't have water, but here in, in Washington on the coast where we have water, um, you know, if you're if you're doing the marine thing, that becomes a whole style, lifestyle, fashion palette, color palette thing. Um, one of the reasons Seattle is so casual is because we're a city of big tech and aerospace and tech bros don't like to dress up. They want to put on yeah. some pants from Arcteryx and a comfortable cotton t-shirt from Brandy Never Heard Of and head out the door. Um, and I say that as someone who worked a job in the city where I had to wear a college shirt and we all used to be like, how did we find the only job that's not super casual in this whole town? <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that was, uh, you know, that whole thing. And that kind of contributes to a whole casual, we don't take ourselves very seriously about what we wear sort of thing around here that is very you know is very different um yes, than, i mean that's, you that's know. very similar to denver very very similar to denver yes I mean, our our fancy dress is uh jeans and a t-shirt yes and yeah and that is um yeah less denim hereabouts lots of shorts lots of t-shirts lots of grown people wearing backpacks which i still find 
a little odd, even though I do that when I travel, but I still find it odd um, <laughs> in every day, in everyday parlance to have that as a, as a thing. Um, and yeah, um, but here's the thing is you also can find venues where the expectations are different. Like when I worked a job where I had to dress up in real estate here in Seattle, it's still bog standard for like men to wear a suit and women to be dressed. Um, Working at that same job, we had an event once at the Seattle Tennis Club that had a dress code posted at the door. Very formal for Seattle, like that, you know, it's like you can find it in this town if you go looking for it sort of thing. Well, that was that was one of those things I had to teach my son once he, you know, turned nineteen to twenty one and started being able to go to clubs and stuff like that. Of what some of the clubs around here, you have to have, you know, long sleeve college shirt. You can't wear anything with a name on it. You can't, you know, that kind of stuff. That you got to look ahead of time if you have to dress a certain way. Yes, I actually <laughs> fun story about that when I was in Iceland. In 2015, um, I saw this nightclub. It wasn't just 21 and up. It was 26 and up. And I was kind of like, I kind of want to go inside and find out what this is like. So I walked all the way back to my hotel hostel situation. I I had brought a bunch of nice clothes with me for Paris. So... I changed into this cool aqua swing jacket and some slacks and some cool shoes. And I schlepped back out there and I'm kind of like, well, let's see if we can get in. Let's see if this outfit passes muster. And, and it did. And I got in and it was super cool and it was very chill and very conversational and, and very nice. And, and I'll have to say it was nice to not be with the under 25s. It was, it was kind of nice. Yeah, it was, it was definitely uh, for, for the, for the grown folks. And that was, that was great. Um, and so, um, but yeah, and they had a very, uh, a very specific dress code, um, you know, as well in terms of what you were, you know, to wear and all this type of thing. Um, and I think now, interestingly enough, um, because society has gotten so casual, um, dressing well has become an act of rebellion which is so weird (laughs) which is why we did it it's true yes that's why my son does it too because yeah he's got a like what four or five well-fit suits because you know me but also because he likes suits because nobody else he knows has ever owned a suit in their lives and he's like yeah Pick me out. No, I, I mean, mean even rather party one night. Yeah, no, there's even even like music musicians like fits in the tantrums. They call themselves clothing whores and they dress a lot, regardless of the weather, which I think is just crazy. Um, but it's you know, but but it's it's fascinating how in terms of style, how, you know, dressing really well has become its own act of rebellion against a culture gone casual. Yes, and 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 it makes you stand out, uh, and not always in a good way. Yes, yes, of course, of course. So it, this seems like a good moment to read some fun quotes from Coco Chanel about fashion and style. Oh, Coco! Yes, 
Um, fashion changes, but style endures. Very true. Very Simplicity true. is the keynote of all true elegance. Yes. This was one of my favorite. I don't do fashion. I am fashion. <laughs> I always love that um, one. That one makes me happy. Yes. Uh, fashion has two purposes, comfort and love. Beauty comes when fashion succeeds. That is very true, especially in the bridal industry. Yes. Fashion is going forward, not backwards. We don't move back. We don't sugar up things. We have to live within our own time. I like that one. Yeah. The fashion is not something that exists in dresses only. Fashion is in the sky, in the street. Fashion has to do with ideas, the way we live, and what is happening. I think we can both agree that that's basically both of our takes on what fashion is. Period. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's different fun ways to bring things in, um, which this one is kind of the penultimate. And, and I kind of agree with this one, too. It's not the appearance. It's the essence. It's not the money. It's the education. It's not the clothes. It's the class. Mm -hmm. And there is definitely a certain way of acting that is most essential um and i uh i i don't i I've, I've i've never the people who try to buy their way into a style have has never gone very far with me um i had a styling client years ago that all you know put me to great pains to get him the latest, you know, the latest stuff. And, you know, and it, with all sorts of details, like, oh, I need underwear with a waistband that has a brand on it so I can sag my jeans so people can see the the waistband sort of thing. And I'm kind of like, okay, I get like, okay. But it was something where like the and I told them I said I said here's the thing I said for all the money you're spending on buying fashionable stuff from all these brands, you know you could actually buy some stuff and develop your own taste in your own style and actually yes. be cool rather than just following the same trend everyone else is. Exactly. Totally fell on deaf ears. He never understood what I was talking about. And it's kind of like the people remember me not just because I'm a big imposing presence, but I kind of have my own clothing thing going on. Like it's my yeah. own sort of thing. And um, and it's it's called having your own your own sense of style and your own sense of taste and your own aesthetic. And that that is not sold in stores. And and that in this uh, time period where everything is so global and everything, you know, we're not doing, we're not dressing for the dress codes that were so restrictive in the past. And we have so many options. Like that is a big thing is to be able to find your own fashion. Don't just fall into a fashion, find your own fashion. Find what makes you feel beautiful. And if what makes you feel beautiful is yoga pants and a t-shirt or jeans and Crocs, then that makes you feel beautiful. And that's okay. Like, it's all fine. But don't just dress for what you think other people are going to find beautiful because it's not about them. And once you start dressing for yourself, you're more likely to look beautiful. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, and I, I told this, I said, you know, have have some fun with it in terms of accessories and all this sort of thing. Um, it's uh it's it's a vital um a vital aspect of um of kind of creating, like I said, your own sense of style and aesthetic and all this type of thing, which can be very simple, it can be very complicated, whatever have you. But I just you the things that you cannot you you can buy clothes, you cannot buy taste. Mm, very, very true. That and 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 that's I think where and that you see it in the celebrity culture all the time. Of uh, you know, there there are the people that dress and they're kind of evergreen and mm-hmm. always kind of that classic cool. And then you have the people that wear outrageous things that are always hopping on a different trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um in fact, I think one of the that, Yeah. That's one of those important things to also remember is that, you know, as if you're buying more expensive pieces, you need to think about how long does this have? If you, I mean, unless you're a celebrity and can just buy every new trend. But right. like, is this going to have some longevity in my life? Is this going to be something that I could wear next year or that I will wear next year? So you have to think about the fact that, I mean, unless it's just one specific outfit for one specific special event, you should think about the fact that like, so what's going to be staple pieces that I can just wear forever until it falls apart just because I can. No, of course. And I think that's also um, not very practical, but I think it's it's also like chasing, chasing trends forever. It, one of the things that I think is, was, and, Lady Gaga has done it. Billie Eilish has done it. A couple others have done it. Is you have these pop stars that will come along and they will wear crazy, outrageous things that make no sense whatsoever and seem truly deranged. And then someone at some point tells them, if you want to have a career in the next 10 years, you have to start dressing like a normal person. (laughs) Nicki Minaj was the same situation. When she Mm -hmm. came on the scene, she was very inspired by Japanese Harajuku culture, which is fur and boots and coats and hats and insane colors, insane accessories. And um, someone told all three of them, if you want to have any sort of longevity in this industry, you have to start dressing like a normal person. Uh, Mm Someone's going to take you seriously if you keep trying to do this. Although I do right. have to say, I absolutely love all of their ridiculous points to. Oh, I miss crazy so Lady Gaga. I miss I showing up to an award show in an egg carried by men. I miss the meat dress, <laughs> the lace on the, like, I, all this. Like, it's like finally someone's doing something different because before so the fashion. Yeah, well, and the style of pop stars in the late 90s, early 2000s was dead common, let's face it. And and honestly, available in stores. If you want to look like the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC, just head down to Hollister. They've got it on sale by the rack. They've got it like they literally are selling. Exactly. Whereas like Lady Gaga comes along and she's kind of like, I'm going to show up in an egg and wear a meat dress is kind of like... Finally, something different. Something interesting. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. But also, I do agree. It is one of those things that you do have to fit into a certain extent 
in that culture, especially because you are so seen and right. you are so looked at. So you do have to kind of fit in, fit the mold a bit, but uh, still be yourself. Yes. Well, and that's where I think it's important to develop taste. That's what will sustain you over a long period of time. We kind of skipped over it, but I want to jump back to, we have a note about European colonization. Um, And two things. One is that fashion and style became more democratic with the rise of the merchant and trading classes. And the second thing, fashion helped settle the new world. Europeans craved fur, which was in plentiful supply in the Novus Mundo, and fur trappers explored the interior parts of North America, trapping animals for their fur. Fur was impossibly plentiful because the animals were so available in a way they hadn't been in Europe in centuries by the 17th century. And so when we talk about, you know, how fashion used to be very cultural and local and is now very global, to some degree, there's kind of that thread back to the early fur trappers in North America going around catching the marmot and the various and sundry things and the marten and all these export to Europe because um, fur was a symbol of wealth. And when it suddenly became available in plentiful amounts at relatively low cost, and you had by this time a huge merchant trading class who could afford it and nobility who wanted it and all this type of thing, all of a sudden fur comes back into style and fashion and and that then causes colonialization in North America to really get underway because the money and capital from from that fur was available to make it possible. Yeah, exactly. And that that also created many careers, careers yeah. um, of lifetimes of people, mostly men, but yeah. also women too, going out and trapping and skinning and bringing them to furriers and then sending them back off to England. Yeah, and that was in Canada, the Hudson Bay Company, which is now a popular department store, began its life in the 18th century as a purveyor of fine furs from Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, you know... It created a lot of a lot of uh, economic power throughout... It was a big business. That. It was Well, same thing in this country. What drove the buffalo extinct was the popularity of buffalo robes in the East. And so they would go out and they would come up by the thousands just for the skin, wouldn't use the rest of it, of course. Um, Although, which is dumb, the meat's delicious. (laughs) And and, uh, for the skin. People have been doing that for years, but doing it in a respectful way and actually eating it. Yes, exactly. But all because buffalo robes had become fashionable and everyone had to have one. And so, and that 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 fashion trend literally drove the American buffalo to the brink of extinction, um, yes. which is just insane, you know. Yeah. Um, yes. And 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 even now to this day, you have you have farms where they do fur and all this type of thing. But even now, in the more rural, really rural parts of Canada, and some of the you know the bush of Alaska, you have people who still trap the old fashioned way. And yeah. go out and they, trap lines in Alaska are still a big business. You have to buy them for thousands of dollars to get yeah. an area where you're allowed to trap and sell fur and all this type of thing. And for a lot of the bush people, that's their only money income for the year is from fur that is still sold to be used in various and sundry applications. 
Actually, so funny story. Um, back when my grandmother was in her 20s and 30s, so around the 50s, um, all of my grandfather's family owned farms out in uh, eastern Colorado. And my aunts, my great aunts, uh, realized that everybody could afford these beautiful mink, like colored coats and beautiful mink stoles. And they couldn't really afford those as being little poor, you know, country folk. But they kill uh, a lot of coyotes out of here so they can't stay away from the cows. And so my great aunts and my grandmother got together and decided to take some of those coyotes that they were killing to get away from the cows and skin them and take the fur and add it to several jackets and make a couple stoles out of it that are absolutely stunningly gorgeous. I don't agree with killing animals, but I will definitely wear those. Um, and so I still have some of those today. Oh, that's great. How innovative. <laughs> right? They I love that. They look similar to mink. It works. Yeah. Yeah, like who need who needs mink? We found these off the hoof just over here. Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, they were gonna die anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I th and it's funny. I think because though I think remember there was a there was a big anti fur thing starting like the late seventies into the eighties. That was a whole thing because it, it it doesn't happen now. But there was a time not too long ago where wealthy women wore fur every day. I mean, my grandma had a full length fur coat that is, I think Aunt Nina has it in a closet somewhere. Um, I have multiple from- Yes, this was until like the eighties, I want to say, it was very common for any woman yeah. of any sort of means to have some fur something. Mm -hmm. And even though PETA and animal rights activists have really kind of driven that out of style to where now, especially among people you don't really see fur as a thing anymore yeah. um at one time that was a whole that was a whole thing and it was something that was most essential it was that, yes especially it was like absolutely 60s, it was very much a status symbol yeah but e even today there are still places where it's popular in fact one of the problems they had during covid is that um covid transfers from humans to animals and in Denmark, they had to liquidate an entire mink farm, not just a cake, the whole farm, because all the little minks got COVID. Which, it was quite tragic. It sounds quite sad, but at the same time, they're going to get killed for their fur either way. So I'm not a big fan of the fur trade. I, you know, when it was done as trapping things in the wild, it is what it is. Like, that's not too bad to me. You got to live your life. We kill things often. But raising them to kill them for their fur can, it's a little disturbing to me. But also, I'm not so far as, like, I think alpaca and stuff like that is fine because they need to be shaved anyways. Yeah. No, well... Yes, I mean, we, the natural natural fibers and everything, we've had that conversation, but um, yes, no, it's it's a, it, it, but it's, it's still, I had kind of forgotten how fur was still very much a big business, you know, yeah, to this really day. Um, mm -hmm. But it was, but it is, it, but all of this to say, um, if you think fashion and style doesn't move 
the world, move markets, have an outsized effect on every aspect of our lives. Um, literally, European colonization would not have happened the way it happened without the capital that was generated from the fur trade. Yep. The earliest explorers into the most deep interior right. part. Yeah, the first European explorers into the deepest interior parts of this continent were fur trappers looking for fur because it was such a big business. Um, and uh, and that has you know a huge effect on world history. How you know why people live where they live, where they are, where they are. I mean, it's um, even among the native tribes, the uses of animal furs and skins for clothing for shelter, to indicate cultural status, even in their relatively unadvanced Bronze Age civilization, um, was 110% um, uh, a thing, you know? Even yeah. in the more warmer climes, you have people would paint themselves or scar themselves to mm -hmm. indicate these things when wearing clothes was too hot. Um, and so, I mean, we all, it, yes, it's like, this is, it, it it fashion style seems so very trite, but the reality is it has an outsized effect on our lives that I think a lot of people don't understand or appreciate. And and it has a very intimate effect on our lives, which I don't think a lot of people appreciate because people think of it as just putting clothes on, but it shows who you are. It shows what you think about. It shows what you chose to buy. And then it also shows not shows, but it also is one of those things that that's what makes you comfortable. That was, is what makes you feel safe. That's what makes you feel in your own skin because we wear our clothes as our skin because it's illegal to be naked. Um, so, you know, it's a very, very important part of who we are as a culture, as an individual, especially these days. It's, even more individualistic because it's not so culturally based. Um, it shows it is part of who you are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's an excellent place to end. This has been fun. Um, this has been really fun. Yes. So um, this is episode four of our series on fashion. There's two more episodes to come. So we're getting to the back half of the series now. Um, so you still have time to catch up before episode five comes out. Um, if you want to catch up with me online, it's at Cameron Cowan on Twitter and Instagram, uh, facebook.com slash Cameron L. Cowan, as well as Pinterest, where I have lots of fashion stuff pinned if you want to go check that out for different book projects and whatnot. Um, and we will see you next time on the Cameron Journal podcast. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. 
and we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.